This is a show for missionary disciples who worship Christ in the Eucharist and serve him and their neighbor, for whom the words of the creed reverberate through their daily activity. This is a show for those like you and me who make the conscious choice to follow Christ outside the walls. It's a rare privilege when I'm able to actually convince my wife to join me on air. Uh, She's the introvert of the family. She's perfectly content to not get anywhere near a mic at any point in time in her life. But every once in a while, I'm able to convince her either because I have some uh, great need for an extra (laughs) guest. uh, But this this week, it's a little bit different uh, because she shared an experience with me here recently that I want to to talk about on air today. As we are here in the beginning of November, where we're thinking about all saints, we're thinking about all souls, commemorating the faithful departed. And, and recently, um, she joined me on a work trip. And I told her, uh, as we were getting ready to get on the plane, that the the rent as it were for being able to go on this work trip was was her coming on the show to talk about this experience so yeah. the experience was uh, work every once in a while uh, about once a year or once every other year requires me uh, in air quotes requires me to go over to rome uh, where i do some trainings at a couple of pontifical universities the gregorian and the biblicum uh, and so i had to go over for work had to do some sessions there he had to <laughs> Boo. Uh, and so while i was there um because of the amount of work that the amount of travel that my work takes me on. Um, I had some airline miles built up. So my, my darling bride, Kristen Putnam, who joins us today and our infant son, Aiden, uh, went across uh, over to Italy and left the rest of the family here behind with friends <laughs> and family and, and, uh, and um, gladly. Victims. So, <laughs> so we went over and spent time, in Rome, and and I wanted you to come on to reflect on your experience there, specifically, uh, in contrast to a previous time that you went to Rome. Right. So this was my second time ever being in Rome. the The first time I was in college, I had studied abroad for a semester, and your cousin, mm-hmm. who is a priest in Shreveport was able to get me tickets. I knew I wanted to go to Italy because I have ancestry from Italy, but he was able to get me tickets for Holy Week at St. Peter's. And mm-hmm. so I went down Easter week. Um, I was young and didn't prepare well for this trip to the size city that Rome was. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, but going there, I knew I wanted to see the art. I wanted to go to the museums. I wanted to go to the Colosseum, you know, all of the historical kinds of things that are to do in Rome, which there are plenty. Um, but being there also by myself, it was a rather stressful experience because I was very um, on edge about being out after dark and trying to figure out the transit system, which for whatever reason, I was having a lot of trouble. With There's only three time. lines. Yeah. There's all I know. I don't know what my deal was. <laughs> but um, but yeah, so, you know, I did. I saw the art and I saw the, the, the things that I think most people go to Rome to see. Mm-hmm. So you tell a story because you were there on Holy Week uh, mm-hmm. and- you tell a specific story about the one time when you didn't feel on edge. That's right. Right. Okay. So I was a Protestant at the time as well, which is important to note. So I'm going to these masses that are in all of these different languages. I had no clue what was going on because I didn't even understand or know or was familiar with the liturgy. Mm -hmm. Like, no clue. Um, every once in a while, there'd be a line in English. And I was like, oh, <laughs> I, I, I heard that. that. <laughs> um, 
But no, it was very interesting going through the Holy Week Masses, which is my favorite liturgical week still. Um, but feeling that difference between Thursday to Friday to Saturday vigil to Sunday. And even though I couldn't understand anything that was going on, still the very different feeling of those places. And on Friday, um, you know, we started out at St. Peter's and did the Good Friday service. Um, but then we all hopped on the buses and went from St. Peter's down to the Coliseum for the Stations of the Cross. Which is not a short bus ride. It was not. I was surprised how far away it was. I don't remember it being that far, but having been there again just recently, I was like, whoa, that was a pretty long bus ride. Um, but so, you know, you get on this bus and there's me, the 20 something girl, and then I think everyone else on the bus was in a habit of some sort. There were nuns and priests and monks of all different color habits, just from all these different orders there. And none of us spoke the same language. I mean, they were from all over the world, but it was the friendliest, most peaceful bus that I was on that entire trip. And and that was a, a respite for me. I didn't feel like I had to be on guard Um there and and it was lovely and we got down to the Colosseum and you know um it wasn't it was in 2005 so it wasn't Pope John Paul II doing the stations because he was ill at the time um I don't remember who led them but anyway they were inside and we were all outside and following along as best I could in the booklet you know that they gave us which was beautiful and lovely um but other than St Peter's like I really didn't go into any other church which <laughs> having been there this last week is mind blowing to me because they are everywhere. everywhere. There are so many churches in Rome and they're all ornate and amazing with every with one of them. Beautiful histories. So I went a couple of years ago, I had a lovely experience and my role having heard your stories um, so many times, my rule was that I wasn't going to go to any, uh, any museum that I would see the art that was in the churches, but I was more interested in the bones than I was in the art. <laughs> and that brings us now to the second trip where you came with me. And it brings right. us to this idea of, uh, of commemorating the faithful departed, understanding our place in the communion of saints. Um, because this time we, we had our list that we put out ahead of time of the churches that we absolutely wanted to go mm -hmm. to. And it was extensive. I mean, we had a lot of we churches lot. on that list. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> but but then beyond that, I, I take a very kind of much probably to your dismay, a very uh, relaxed view of of going on a trip. Like your family <laughs> planned everything out down to the minute and puts puts so much into every moment when they do a vacation or when they have, often. Yeah. Yes. Although, I mean, it wasn't like it wasn't super scheduled. It was just to make sure that we didn't run out of things to do. Here's the list of things we could do next. And so for me, it's like, <laughs> yes. I'm going to go over there and I, I'm going to buy the, the Metro pass. I want to make sure that I have access to go wherever I need to go. Sure. Yeah. And then I'm just going to kind of take the day as it hits me. Yeah. Which is a very different way it, of doing things. Well, yeah, it was kind of nice though. Yeah. I, I would say, because again, there are so many churches that I think even we weren't necessarily even aware of. And it's just like, Hey, there's another one. Let's go inside. <laughs> <laughs> What's this one? Who's here? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> you know. So let's talk. Um, for one of the things that, that I love about Rome with all of the churches there are. And, and again, if you're considering uh, investing in a pilgrimage to Rome, I highly encourage you mm -hmm. to do so. 
there are really scheduled um, trips that are available that you can go with an organization and go over with uh, a, a, a pilgrimage leader who can kind of walk you through everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, if that's your style, I go for it. Find someone who meets that criteria and go with them. Or you could play it my way <laughs> and say, it doesn't matter that you don't know the language. It's okay. You'll make it. Uh, <laughs> and, and book a ticket. We we did a little Airbnb just around the corner from the Trevi Fountain. Yep. Uh, cheaper than we could have done other things. And it was fairly affordable, quote unquote. Ish, yeah. Ish. Uh, it helped that work was paying for it in my specific case. Yeah. But- we went over and we just went to visit the saints. Mm-hmm. So we talked about that extensive list of churches. We picked that extensive list of churches, particularly for the saints that they either represented or the saints that were buried in that place or the saints that their relics were in that place mm-hmm. uh, because of the names of our children. That yeah. We have our little litany of saints written <laughs> written out just in the names and the middle names of our kids. Uh, And we wanted to go and visit those places to pray for our children in the places where those saints Mm -hmm. were. Yeah. And part of that, I did an episode um, several years ago with um, Father Carlos Martins on relics and talking about there's something particular about being in proximity to the relics of a saint in the same way that we feel closer to our loved ones when we go and we visit their grave, right? Mm -hmm. Um, That there is something about the body as we profess that we are body-soul conglomerates and that this body that we have is going to be resurrected in the last day, that there's something essential to who we are that resides in this body that will continue to reside there until it's resurrected and rejoined with with our soul. So there's something essential about that that makes visiting the relics or visiting the 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 burial places of these saints really profound Mm -hmm. so to that end talk about your this was your first time going into so many churches and and yes the artwork is there but um the saints are there and you have Mm -hmm. we, we went into one church just right around the corner from from the vatican city where there's a relic of the foot of St. Mary Magdalene, who's your patron saint. So talk a little right. maybe about that experience. Yeah. So, you know, we we were kind of joking. And as people asked me, you know, if I was excited and what places we were going to go see, I was like, I'm going for the bones, you know, <laughs> and it's such a quirky Catholic thing to do. <laughs> um, but but yeah. And so somehow, I don't know, I came across the um, the knowledge that St. Mary Magdalene's foot is in one of the churches. And I was very excited about that. And um and you know it's so interesting because you go into these places and the the wealth of how many relics they have is astounding. And so, you know, I don't know that what I expected exactly, but like it wasn't immediately obvious where her foot was. That it was there, you know, but we kind of had to look for it for a little while and it was just like, I mean, this is Mary Magdalene, like this is a big deal saint, you know. <laughs> Um, but they have her foot and specifically the first foot to have entered the tomb of the risen Lord, mm-hmm. which is just lovely. And, you know, it's just, it's hard to even wrap your mind around, you know, it's like, I've been around quite a few relics of, you know, little chips of bone and little, you know, tiny 
relics that are around. And those are wonderful and powerful as well. But to be around more of the bodies (laughs) of these people was, it, it was, it was just difficult to completely comprehend and understand. Um, I would say, you know, the first time it hit me was, was not as much with Mary Magdalene's foot. Although like by that point I was like ready and primed for it, I think invested. invested. Um, but no, the first one, like we were walking around and saw what church was it? It was like of the apostles. It was like right around the corner from wherever we were. God, yeah. Um, and it was like, it was just one of those other churches that you pass by and we went in hardly anybody was there. It mm-hmm. was really quiet and we go in and under the altar, like there are several churches, you could go down into the crypt because Rome, interestingly, we were kind of taught it has been built on top of itself several times. And so a lot of these um, older tombs and things are under the churches where Rome used to be. Mm-hmm. And then now there's another church built on top of, of that one. So anyway, so we were you were able to go under where the altar was into the script. And it was uh, the apostles, Philip and James. Philip and James the less, yeah. The Philip and the James (laughs) that walked with Christ. And it was like no pomp and circumstance. Again, like nobody was there. It wasn't like there was a huge line to get in to see where their crypt was. It was just, there they were. (laughs) You know, and there's this old not a headstone, but like you could, you know, like the end of the box kind of, you know, like, and they're just there. And but a very old fresco, very old fresco. Yeah. Which is also really interesting when you go into the churches in Rome, how you can see how they've kind of been added on over the years. You're like, well, that wall is really old mm-hmm. in comparison to this wall, which is obviously not based on the art that is on it. Um, and the architectural style. And the architectural style. Yeah. So it's fascinating how it's just kind of all like put together. And it's like the, the history of Christendom in this spot, you know, built again and on top of. And so, you know, it's like I, I knew that, you know, St. Peter is, of course, buried in St. Peter's and there's several popes there. And there's but like for some reason, Philip and James hit me a little bit differently I think because it seemed so common, mm-hmm. but it wasn't. <laughs> and and that idea, you know, a lot of people will go and, you know, want to visit you know, places in the Holy Land and places where Jesus had walked and where, um, you know, things that he had touched or, or whatnot. And all of that is beautiful and wonderful and worth doing. Um, but for some reason, for me, the, the humanity of realizing that these bones that are in front of me are the bones that were in a person (laughs) that are in a person and that person's flesh walked with Jesus. Like their humanity was with Jesus's humanity. Well, and to that point, I think a lot of times when we come to all saints day or even uh, all souls day, we tend to, maybe mysticize the mm-hmm. the faithful departed we're praying for their praying for them in a non-corporeal way mm-hmm. where we're asking for the intercession of the saints and we have that that picture out of the book of revelation of them gather around the throne of heaven and it's it's, it's a very ethereal mystical picture mm-hmm. and so to be 
in Rome uh, and to see, oh, there are their bones right there. It, it so wrenches concrete. it out of that, <laughs> that mystical and regrounds it in this, this sameness of we have mm-hmm. not only the shared familial heritage of the fact that we are the baptized and we are adopted into the family of God and we have that, that shared connection of the communion of saints, we also have this, oh, wow, we have a shared humanity. There's, there's, there's the arm of St. Francis Xavier above that altar. And hey, here's my arm. And they look the same. I mean, mine's <laughs> a little of, bit yeah. healthier at the moment, but. Right. And I mean, they are everywhere. And so, you know, not only seeing those bones and saints that knew Christ when he was here on earth. And so the same thing with then Mary Magdalene as well. Like it just a continuation of that. Um, but then all of the other saints as well that have come since then. And so like one night we went over to St. Clement's, which really as, as the churches go is probably one of the more simple churches It's still incredibly ornate, (laughs) but it is more simple than the others, but it ended up being my favorite. I loved it there. And we, we went in and it was at night. We really didn't think it was going to be open. Well, and we weren't, this is one of those kind of divine appointment things where Mm. we were, um, we had finished up, Vespers at St. Paul outside the walls with the Benedictines. Mm-hmm. And on a whim, because this is how I operate, <laughs> on a whim, I said, hey, let's get off the, the metro a couple of stops early. Let's go and just walk by the Coliseum because I'm not the kind of person that wants to pay money to go into the Coliseum or the. But the, you should walk by but it. You should at least walk by <laughs> I mean, it, right? it's so, there. <laughs> so we walked by the Coliseum and then I saw across the way uh, a, a dig an archaeological dig. And I recognized, Hey, we're just like two blocks from, from uh, St. Clement's. We should. Right, and that was on our list. Like <laughs> we wanted to go there. We'll, we'll come back by later when it's open. We'll do mass there, but let's just, you know, let's walk by it right now. We'll try to find a gelato place. We'll do something. We'll walk that way. Yeah. And we walked by and like, there were a couple of times where we were going to turn back and I was just gonna say, yeah, it's, it's right there. But we went ahead, we walked by cause I, I wanted to show how unassuming it was that it's just I mean, you would not notice that it's there. I mean, you just, yeah, you walk right by. And the door was open. I'm like, ooh. Ooh. I wonder what's going on. <laughs> so we went in. It was the feast of St. Ignatius, Ignatius of Antioch. Antioch. Yeah. Uh, and there was a small um, group, looked like from a college, mm-hmm. uh, an American college that was there with the Irish Dominican uh, friars that right. were praying Compline. In English, in English. Which, which is what we're like, wait a second, they're praying in English. Like who, who's in there? <laughs> and so that was the point. Just like, okay, uh, we're going to sneak in and pretend that we belong here. <laughs> with, with our baby. <laughs> with our, with our infant, yeah. obviously not college students. Right. Uh, but we were able to pray the majority of, of mm-hmm. Compline with them. Yeah. Uh, only to come and find out. Well, th- that it was the... Which which it's the burial place? Oh, right, of Saint Ignatius of Antioch so on I his feast Sa- day. I knew that Saint Clement was there, but like sure, and that's one of the reasons we wanted to go there because Aiden, our infant who is with us, his middle name is Clement, and so we're like, well, we have to go to Saint Clement's. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. But so yeah, they pr- they they sing the solemn Salve Regina, uh, very similar to one that we sing, but but it was lovely, de- but Dominican. It was a little different. Right? <laughs> it was. It was great. Um, 
And I'm, I, I was kind of curious as to why it was the solemn salve until mm-hmm. they mentioned, oh, that right there under the altar with St. Clement, hey, by the way, here's also St. Ignatius of Antioch. Um, and in a church that has its uh, its heritage and its history, even though the current building is newer, to the fourth century. Right. So again, the, the um, one of the friars, yep. they're friars, <laughs> was uh, talking to the group after Compline was done. And, um, and I mean, he was very evangelistic, which was pretty great. <laughs> the way he was talking about the space and who was buried there and um, what they do. And then pointing out the places where the old arches of the church were talking about that, how Rome is built on top of itself. And so, so yeah, the, um, the choir where they pray mm-hmm. um, is that the walls from it were brought up from downstairs from, from the excavated yeah. old building that was there in the fourth century. And the way they knew that those walls were from the fourth century were because of a crest or something that the crest, the papal insignia that was still in the stone. Mm -hmm. And so they brought them upstairs so they could continue to pray within the walls of where Christians have been praying since the fourth century. These are little half walls. Oh yeah, sure. Yeah. Like shorter ones, but but there's one of the walls that still holds the church up has the old arches. It's from the fourth century and people today are still there uh, praying the same liturgy. Mm Mm-hmm praying the same mass, uh, partaking of the same bread, the same host, the same Christ in the same location. Uh, and we have that, that's part of, uh, to me, that's part of the communion of saints is that mm-hmm. we are a continuity with what has been done for millennia. Right. It just is continuing and it does, it helps you to feel and understand in a very concrete way of how much history there is in the church and what a small part of it we are in this point in time. And with all of the struggles and all of the disagreements and all of the things that are going on in the church of what a small moment this is in comparison to the inertia of Christian history and how beautiful it is to be a part of something so big that we can continue to be a part of so simply just being Catholic. Yeah. You talked about the beauty of, of the churches and the difference of the art. So I think of, oh, sure. of yeah. um, the, this church in particular, St. Clement's where you have, the the fourth century walls that have some some carvings and engravings on them and some uh, uh, I can't f- think of the right ornamentation that's mm-hmm. the word and then you have this beautiful mosaic from a later time oh absolutely gorgeous uh, of the cross of Christ with vines growing out of it because the life for us comes from Christ's sacrifice on the cross mm-hmm. um, and then you have the most beautiful crucifix over on the wall. Right. And it wasn't even the main crucifix. It no. was just like off to the side. It was so beautiful. We have There's pictures so many of these. beautiful crucifixes in Rome everywhere. Like <laughs> they're just gorgeous. I should put some of these photos up over you on, should. Uh, on social media over uh, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. I'll put a number of those up to look at uh, and label them. So you know which one specifically that, that uh, one 
from St. Clement's mm-hmm. is just so striking. It is very striking. It's interesting to me looking at the art from um, from the medieval churches that we were in, from the Renaissance churches that we were mm-hmm. in, and then thinking back to all of the parishes that I have worked at over the years. <laughs> yes. And, and thinking one of these things is not like the other. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe <laughs> the artists did not come this way. <laughs> I don't know. I'm sure that there are beautiful pieces of art in, in American churches, but oh my gosh, Rome is just super saturated mm-hmm. with gorgeous, ornate, humongous art. Like it's huge. All of it, all of the frescoes, all of the statues, everything is so big. <laughs> so let's talk about that experience. Like when you walk into these churches Sometimes you're walking in for the purpose of of seeing the church and not necessarily of going to worship, but, but sure. you want to participate in reverence while you're there. Mm-hmm. Is there maybe an attitude or or a um, a practice that you can pinpoint and say, just walking into these churches, this was my experience, as opposed to maybe walking into a church back at home. What what was different about the experience? Well. Gracious. Okay. So most of the churches, at least the ones that we went in, have at least eight side altars, mm-hmm. maybe six, but I think most of the time, at least eight, if not more. Um, and and the side altars aren't just, you know, they're, they're like alcoves, right. right? That go back. And each one of those alcoves has at least three humongous frescoes on each wall of it, and then a crucifix or an altar or or something. Um, so, I mean, you know, going in and recognizing in each one of these churches, you know, kind of keeping a lookout for the, uh, the red candle, like is right. there Eucharist in here somewhere? Um, and most of them, the answer is yes. I think there was maybe one that I couldn't find the candle, but I still treated it as if <laughs> just, just in just case, in case <laughs> you know, Jesus is here somewhere. Um, and so keeping that attitude of, of reverence, but still being able to just meander from one altar to the next. And, you know, they usually have little cards that you can read about, you know, what artists did, what that's in this alcove and, and such. Um, but I mean, there's just so much to observe. Um, whereas I, I feel like churches here in general don't have as much to look at, I suppose. Well, but all of these things to look at were there for a purpose. And, mm, yeah. and perhaps this is what I want to even get to. I think I mentioned this last time that I went to Rome, is the relationship in in practice, in the practice of piety, in the practice of, uh, of the veneration of saints, seems to be different in Rome, in Italy, than it then... We talk about the communion of saints here, Mm. but I don't know how thoroughly we practice it Mm -hmm. in a way that it really seems to be embraced and practiced there in Rome. We're going to continue this conversation and touch on this topic a little bit more deeply right after this break. So don't go anywhere, but do come over, see the pictures over at facebook.com slash step outside the walls, share your own experiences. If you've been to Rome or another holy site and pilgrimage, Tell us what your thoughts were about the architecture, about the saints. And don't go anywhere. We'll be right back right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls with TL. TL. 
Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, TL. Today, you know when someone comes back from a trip and they invite you over and say, we're going to put on a slideshow. (laughs) (laughs) And you sit, it's the movie trope, right? You sit in the garage as the little slide carousel goes next. And here's, you know, this is what we're putting you through today. And and to some extent, I apologize, but really I don't. Hopefully it's uh, edifying. <laughs> so I'm joined by my wife today. Recently on a work trip, I had to uh, go and visit Rome uh, where I had uh, I had meetings. I was you doing had things meetings. for like between one to three hours every day. And then the rest of the day was like, hey, let's go. <laughs> let's go and see the bones. Let's go see the churches. Let's go and participate in this um, in this life of faith as mm-hmm. expressed in in chapel after chapel after chapel after church after just so many churches in Rome. And I, I, you may think that we're overstating it or exaggerating, but at least in the place in Rome where we were, you really could not go a block without finding a church or yeah. a restaurant that used to be a church or a <laughs> right. convent that you can't get into, but it still has but a church. it's still there, yeah. Um, one of the things that we mentioned in this last segment is that we were wanting to go and visit churches that had the relics or some connection to one of the names of each of our children. Mm -hmm. So our oldest three kids have a first name and a middle name, and then we became Catholic, and then they've all got like three or four names, and they're (laughs) all saint names. Uh, And so we have lots to choose from. Yes. And Rome has lots of churches to accommodate our oh. desire to visit one church that was at least, you know, representative or, or yeah. special to so, each of the kids. So we went over and we, uh, one of the things I wanted to talk about is the, the practice of living out the communion of saints and how it strikes me as being practiced differently in Rome mm-hmm. than we see it practiced uh, maybe in the United States. And the one that stands out to me um, is a similar story to last time, but uh, there was this statue of uh, St. Anthony of Padua that was in the back of a church, and it was literally overtaken by notes. Uh, this may have even been at St. Clement's, um, where people had written down a prayer or, a, or something, folded it up tightly, and tossed it at the statue to get it as close to the statue as possible. <laughs> Yep. And just and I mean there was like a little um not barrier but like a you know little box sort yeah, of at the of foot kneeler. of the statue that was just full of these notes. And that's just an it's an interesting concept to me because we tend to think of oh well I'm going to pray a novena to this saint or I'm going to mm-hmm. I'm going to do something in private to to foster this devotion that I have with with and this veneration that I have of a saint. And there, it's a very public and and kind of corporate response to the communion of saints. Mm-hmm. Uh, corporate in the sense that there are all of these side altars. There's all of these places. We went to mass one morning, uh, and I'm not even going to try to say the name of the place. Uh, I think it's Saint. No, I'm going to. I'm not going to. <laughs> Saint Andrea de Valle or something. I did try. Um, <laughs> where Saint Maximilian Kolbe uh, prayed his first mass. Mm-hmm. And so we went to mass there and it's like, there is a main altar of the church and, um, 
and maybe they use it sometimes. But the whole church was set up. Was oriented toward this side altar. (laughs) Facing this side altar where Maximilian Kolbe prayed his first mass. And it's this beautiful representation of Our Lady of Grace, which we see on the Miraculous Medal. Um, And so here we are celebrating mass in the place where my patron saint Mm -hmm. said his first mass. Yeah. It It was a big deal. Right. And and it seemed very obvious because of the way that they had oriented the church, at least for the mass that we were at, mm-hmm. that that was a common expression. And that so that, that sense of solidarity or that sense of communion with St. Maximilian Kolbe was now kind of a highlight mm-hmm. uh, and, and point of devotion for that whole church. Yeah. Yeah. And like, it almost makes me wonder, you know, I feel like in the U S that relics are still a little awkward maybe, or, or unusual. Well, like you, you say that, but like we, when we went to Philadelphia, uh, St. John Neumann is, sure, yeah, and he was there kind of just the laid altar. out there in a glass. And it, maybe it was because I had not seen something like that before that it felt awkward to me. Like <laughs> when, <laughs> when I saw that, so like I, maybe others that are more familiar don't feel that way at all. But like, I wonder if it has something to do with the, age of the city and the history of Christendom within that city that maybe opens them up to that more concrete um, familiarity with the saints who were here in this place. Maybe to word a little differently, that uh, culture as 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 we experience it today, the secularism of culture is wary of the mystical aspects of the faith. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So as someone who has, has grown up and kind of, you're not secular yourself, but you have no. been in that culture and that, in that milieu. Mm-hmm. What was your, not your first reaction because you expressed that, but what was your maybe adaptation and warming up to this mystical aspect? How did that, that take shape? Specifically on this trip? Sure. Or Okay. Um, well, gosh, I, I, I don't know. Um, you, you, trying to wrap your mind around the idea of the apostles mm-hmm. and the apostle to the apostles in our case as well. And like the, the reality of that. But then the others like St. Clement, fourth century, St. Ignatius of Antioch, also first century before first century he was like way earlier um and then like we saw where saint catherine of siena is buried as well and saint cecilia saint cecilia um so these newer but still very old well and saint cecilia is a very interesting one because that church is built in the location of another church that was Mm -hmm. built in the location of where she lived okay right (laughs) so so it kind of i mean it kind of grows up there's she she was a roman martyr and her house was turned into a church, and she is buried in that place. And mm-hmm. today, all this time later, the the faith persists. And mm-hmm. that you know, the, going back to that that quotation that the the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. In that mm-hmm. way, it's a very very apt statement. <laughs> in that there, where she was martyred and buried, the church, the faith has grown up right around it. Mm-hmm. Right. So you know it. Um, 
it seemed is so plentiful and so normal. <laughs> um, and just, I mean, the, I cannot emphasize or express like how many saints are there. <laughs> so many. And so, you know, going from the little chips of bone to like, here's the person, right. <laughs> you know, is it, it I think what it does is like, it again, emphasizes the, the simplicity with which being Catholic can be the, you know, it does weave into every area of our lives. And that with that comes complications of figuring out how does this theology affect this part of my life? But, but just the, the bare base of it being the same as the bare base of it for all of these generations of other saints and that that can be simple and that simple is okay. Simple is okay. So now let's go to Santa Croce in Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. Um, You had St. Helen in the early fourth Mm -hmm. century, fill up a boat with dirt from the Holy land, Mm -hmm. bring it over to Rome lay it down and build a church on top of it, build a chapel on top of it. Um, and that chapel still has the dirt. The dirt. From, <laughs> that's why it's, that's why, by the way, it's Santa Croce in Jerusalem because technically quote unquote, that church is in Jerusalem because it's on, on the soil. Dirt from is there. there. Yeah. Um, and in that are the relics of uh, the crucifixion. So there's the relics mm-hmm. of the true cross. There's, uh, two thorns from the crown of thorns. There is the sign. That I, the, <laughs> I, this, I don't know why the sign was so profound for me, but yeah. the the actual piece that was put on top of the cross yeah. that said, "This is Jesus, King of the Jews." Yeah. That the Jews wanted them to change, like you know, like that actual thing. Yeah was there. there there's a, there's a nail. There's the, a finger joint from St. Thomas. There's a piece of the cross from the good thief. There's uh, a yeah. piece of of stone from the sepulcher and mm-hmm. from uh, the, the nativity, the place of the nativity in Bethlehem. They've got all this stuff there. But Wealth before, of stuff. <laughs> but before you go up the hallway, the, mm-hmm. that ascent to Calvary, at the base of that, Speaking of the simplicity, mm-hmm. there's a tiny little room, a tiny little uh, exhibit. It's not really a chapel. Right. Because, I mean, she's buried there, yeah. too. So yeah. uh, Dedicated to this six-year-old girl mm-hmm. who was a member of the parish, right? She, that was her home parish, mm-hmm. uh, who had a form of cancer. Yeah. And in the midst of her, uh, her therapy, as a six-year-old receiving treatment for cancer, she wrote all of these letters to Christ. And to the saints and to Mary yeah. as well. And they still have, you know, some of her second class relics. I guess she's just a blessed right now. Right. But, but they, they have the little, little dresses or toys. Yeah, dresses and toys and the letters with the most pristine like Oh my word. <laughs> I have six year olds, they don't write like this. Uh, but you know, on that big fat paper that where you know the line to write something is right. like two inches tall and you've got that middle dotted line, yeah. you know, on school paper. And looking. here's this letter beautiful. heartfelt pouring out her devotion to Christ, to the saints, to the to Mary, 
mm-hmm. that now she's buried in that church and going back loved. to going going back to that whole idea of this corporate practice, the whole church now, her parish home, and now generations past that, mm-hmm. uh, have have gathered around and used her as an example of sanctity, uh, advanced her cause for canonization. She's reached mm-hmm. that. She's she's a blessed, I think. Yeah. Well, and that sign said that she is the youngest recognized mystic yeah. in in the church. But this idea that. Yes, one in her case, the, um, sanctity is can be very simple, mm-hmm. right? But in in that second case, that there is a corporate aspect to the practice of the communion of saints that mm-hmm. I would love to see explode here. Mm-hmm. This idea that, and, and we see it, I think, in some of the causes for canonization with uh, Blessed Stanley Rother, mm-hmm. with uh, with Blessed Solanus Casey, with. Um, uh, blessed uh, Emil uh, Capen in um, Wichita, but it, it seems to be not quite as pronounced as we saw it there in Rome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, again, I wonder if it's we are still very young mm-hmm. as a as a country <laughs> in general, um, and so you know, like Pope Francis has talked about how we need more modern day saints, you know, those saints that played video games, that rode the bus to school, that, you know, are modern for our time saints. And specifically, that will give us a picture of what does radical sanctity look like in our environment? I think Mm -hmm. that that, that's something that we get in Rome that's harder here because Mm -hmm. we don't have, even the canonized saints that we have in the U.S. are way back when, right? We don't have those that are just like right here, right now that we can look at and point to and say, I'm going to model my life after that. Mm-hmm. It's almost like when we look at the saints, we say, oh yeah, that they're, look at that beautiful example of sanctity. But you know, it was a different time. Mm. Yeah, that can be really easy to do. Um, because, I mean, culture has changed and advanced and... There are all sorts of life things that we are walking through that I don't know that a lot of saints can speak to necessarily, specifically. So to that end, I'm going to put you on the spot now. Oh, no. Your favorite thing. (laughs) My favorite. I'm going to put you on the spot and say, okay, um, so we've identified some of the difficulty. We've identified some of the the things that are in Rome that are beautiful that spoke to you and spoke to Mm -hmm. me. What have you identified as something you can take from that experience and implement here at home, both for you and for your family mm-hmm. and for your maybe for even f- to the parish level mm-hmm. that would um, that would foster that kind of devotion to the saints here today in this day and time? The first and most immediate thing that came to mind as far as for the family was, you know, we mentioned that we went to several churches on purpose for our kids specifically and prayed for them at those places by name. Um, and so, you know, when we got home, we had picked up a, a little medal or a holy card or something from those places as much as we could. And we sat down with the kids and went through where we went for each of them and gave them each their little holy item from those places. Um, and in some cases, even 
thinking about um, Catherine specifically and telling her, you know, because we went to Catherine of Siena for her and, um, you know, that we had lit a candle for a specific situation that she had going on at school that saw some resolution around that same time, which I thought was pretty cool um, as well. So through the intercession of St. Catherine for Catherine mm-hmm. and um, so to see that kind of practicality maybe, and that um, e- even feeling of immediate care of the saints toward a specific situation. Yeah. So, um, so I think, you know, for the family, we're also getting several of the pictures from each of the places printed out so that they can have those in their rooms. Um, which it's not just the beauty and the art, but there is something very um, ascending <laughs> about the the wealth of the beauty that's there, even just through photographs. Um, as plenty far to as, meditate on. Yes, plenty to meditate on. I mean, shoot, like the the relief that's above Saint Ignatius's mm-hmm. tomb. It's the Crowning of Mary? Is that what it is? Or the Assumption? I would have to go look at the picture. It's so detailed. <laughs> um, and again, so much to meditate on within it of mm-hmm. how the artist expressed that and how, you know, in what way they emphasized it. And I don't even know who the artist was, but somebody. <laughs> um, somebody who's not in a museum. Somebody. <laughs> They're in a church instead. Oh, right. Which honestly, I found myself thinking like, why even go into the museums? Like a couple days in, I was like, can you like get to a point where you're just too full of <laughs> of seeing all of the things to see? Like, it's just mm-hmm. overwhelming. Um, But personally, like, how do you take experiences like that and bring them back and continue with them in your life? Um, I feel like that... Yeah, the saints, even though they were in a very different time, there is still that um, camaraderie mm-hmm. that you feel with them. And so, like, for instance, when I saw the relic of the manger that was there, that was one of the ones you had a meeting and I was there uh, just with Aiden. And um, as I was sitting there and I was you know, just gazing at it and kind of meditating on it, I had this understanding and this thought of Mary did the best that she could with what she had. And that that's something that was very much um, instilled in me as a kid. Like you, uh, you know, you make do with what, what you've got and you've got, you know, these things and you can just make it, make it happen. And, and it turns out great. And like, you've seen that with me and I get my wild hairs and I've just decided I'm going to go make a thing. (laughs) Costumes, costumes for Halloween, costumes for Halloween or whatever. I'd like to point out that you're crying again. I am because, (laughs) because there was that, that camaraderie with Mary, the mother of God, using what she had and it became a holy thing Mm -hmm. because of what she used it for. It was a feeding bowl, you know, but, but Christ made it holy. And so uh, that kind of felt seen in that moment um, personally as well. And I feel like the saints, even though it was a different time and we need modern saints to speak to those things in our time, there is still so much camaraderie because again, going circling all the way back to that humanity of mm-hmm. them, they are human and 
we are human and there is such a sameness amongst yeah. and the between human us. Condition. Yeah. Shared shared experience. Yeah. Thank you for sharing the experience with me both today and for going on the trip with me. Well, on, 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 I that, mean, on that work trip that I had to go on. <laughs> Such suffering. It was <laughs> it was wonderful. <laughs> While we were there, we we, uh, we did stop at St. Paul Outside the Walls, prayed for mm-hmm. each of you listening specifically in as specific details as I could for all of those who are patrons of the show. I also got a medal. You'll be seeing that here in the mail soon. Uh, if you want to be a part of that Patreon support community, go over to OutsideTheWalls.com, click the Patreon link to learn more and to get access to some of those older segments that we make each and every week available uh, to our patrons. Kristen, thanks for being on the show today. Of course, love. Let's turn now our attention to our readings from Scripture and from the saints. That's the sound of the Verbum Library launching up. Verbum helps you read Scripture in light of the whole tradition of the Church, linking Scripture to the Catechism, to the Fathers, Doctors, and Saints of the Church, and so much more. You can learn more over at Verbum.com. Our reading from Scripture today comes from probably my favorite passage of Scripture, coming from the letter of St. Paul to the Colossians, chapter 3. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness and patience, bearing with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. That reading again comes from the book of Colossians, chapter 3. Today's reading from the saints comes from a homily by St. Bernard of Clairvaux for the Feast of All Saints. Why should our praise and glorification or even the celebration of this feast day mean anything to the saints? What do they care about earthly honors when their heavenly Father honors them by fulfilling the faithful promise of the Son? What does our commendation mean to them? The saints have no need of honor from us. 
Neither does our devotion add the slightest thing to what is theirs. Clearly, if we venerate their memory, it serves us, not them. But I tell you, when I think of them, I feel myself inflamed by a tremendous yearning. Calling the saints to mind inspires, or rather arouses in us, above all else, a longing to enjoy their company, so desirable in itself. We long to share in the citizenship of heaven, to dwell with the spirits of the blessed, to join the assembly of the patriarchs, the ranks of the prophets, the council of apostles, the great host of martyrs, the noble company of confessors, and the choir of virgins. In short, we long to be united in happiness with all the saints, but our dispositions change. The Church of all the first followers of Christ awaits us, but we do nothing about it. The saints want us to be with them, and we are indifferent. The souls of the just await us, and we ignore them. Come, brothers, let us at length spur ourselves on. We must rise again with Christ. We must seek the world which is above and set our mind on the things of heaven. Let us long for those who are longing for us. Hasten to those who are waiting for us and ask those who look for our coming to intercede for us. We should not only want to be with the saints, we should also hope to possess their happiness. While we desire to be in their company, we must also earnestly seek to share in their glory. Do not imagine that there is anything harmful in such an ambition as this. There is no danger in setting our hearts on such glory. When we commemorate the saints, we are inflamed with another yearning, that Christ, our life, may also appear to us as he appeared to them, and that we may one day share in his glory. Until then, we see him not as he is, but as he became for our sake. He is our head, crowned not with glory, but with the thorns of our sins. As members of that head crowned with thorns, we should be ashamed to live in luxury. His purple robes are a mockery rather than an honor. When Christ comes again, his death shall no longer be proclaimed, and we shall know that we have also died, and that our life is hidden with him. The glorious head of the church will appear, and his glorified members will shine in splendor with him when he forms this lowly body anew into such glory as belongs to himself, its head. Therefore, we should aim at attaining this glory with a wholehearted and prudent desire that we may rightly hope and strive for such blessedness. We must, above all, seek the prayers of the saints that what is beyond our power to obtain will be granted through their intercession. That reading comes from a homily by St. Bernard of Clairvaux on the Feast of All Saints. And that's all the time we have for today. Thank you so much for tuning in. Today's show is brought to you by Susan Wise and all of those who support the show through Patreon. Go over to OutsideTheWalls.com, click that Patreon link to learn more. And until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.
This podcast is part of the Spoke Street Network. For more great podcasts, visit Spokestreet.com.